Hello everyone, just wanted to offer a quick thought more sports business related. Um, we're actually just at the Grand Central Market uh, in downtown. Just after being at uh, the LAFC game last night, the Houston Dynamo 4-2. And you know, it's fascinating because, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say we all know, but if you get it all close to the sort of sports business space and the space of comparing, you know, what is the U.S. versus, versus Europe, um, you know, and the different aspects, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the fascinating, you know, comparisons is sort of how commercialized and how businessy, for lack of a better term, sports in the U.S. are compared to um, sports in Europe. Obviously, sports in Europe. I mean, it's not as if it's you know some community philanthropy job, but you know there's sort of one one sort of minute aspect that 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 stands out. You know, given my you know last 24 hours, that I'd be fascinated to to see if it has any merits. Um, the first is, well, not the first is, the idea is basically LAFC has created this mechanism for capturing pre-match revenue. Um, it's, a, it's this food hall. It's called the Field LA, basically where they brought in a bunch of different, um, they brought in a bunch of different like world-class chefs and there are, there are concepts to this food hall. So you walk in, you know, it's an hour and a half, an hour before the game, and this place is packed. So obviously, they're lucky enough to also have the, the Dodgers game going on. Maybe unlucky in ticket sales, in which people maybe have stayed home, but lucky enough in that in the moments, in the context of the food hall, people are there engaged watching the game at the bar, et cetera, et cetera. And so... You know, obviously, Europe and the sort of European experience is very much uh, grounded in tradition. It's very much grounded in fans that have been season tickets for years and that have habits and, you know, do all these things to, not do all these things too with a purpose, but just this is this is their their experience. They go to the same pubs, they meet up with the same people, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, with that, with the with the context in mind, it's a matter of I wouldn't say breaking those patterns, but you know, from a team perspective, it's how do you break into the. Uh, basically the spending and the sort of experience patterns that that fans have established and so like basically fans I I think we can go as far as saying throughout the US have this in parallel to European fans and and experience pre-match pre-game whatever you know, in tailgating, obviously sort of a, the NFL being the, the sport that extends us out the most, people pull up, 
you know, trucks, vans, or whatever in the, in the parking lot, um, and, you know, there's sort of a launch, loss in pre-match revenue that way, but then in the, um, in the soccer space, and in Europe specifically, there's a loss in pre-match revenue, because basically, you know, you go to the same fish and chips place, you go to the same bar, et cetera, et cetera, and... You know, these are these are patterns, you know, I would say probably a bit stronger in Europe, but patterns in general that are hard to break. But I think LAFC and, the, and what they've created is something that I think at least has to be, you know, there needs to be at least some, a research study or something to sort of test the idea, the viability, the feasibility of, you know, a food hall type idea created by the team, um, placed you know, next to stadium, adjacent to stadium, in stadium, something like that, that basically attracts these fans and captures that dollar. Because, you know, I've never seen a model, but obviously these, these proteins, and I would say, you know, in Atlanta United, for example, Atlanta Falcons is probably the best example. They, they know that with, there, there is a, either a sense or dollar amount attached to every minute prior to the game that a customer enters a stadium. And so if I use that frame of mind, then I know, okay, as a European team, if half of my players are getting into, or not half my players, half of my fans are getting into the venue with 20 minutes or less, you know, prior to the match, you know, what if I, what if I can even add, what if, what if I can either offer a competing service up to that 20 minute mark or offer a service that will then make that that 20 minutes be an hour or be 40 minutes something like that and again i think lafc might have the formula we're not we're not just going to create a, a food hall and it's going to be the same type of food that's going to be inside this you know not, not inside the stadium but same type of of general ballpark food. it's going to be these memorable experiences where you walk in to the left you have Literally the type of pizza that if you're walking down the streets of Trastevere in, in Rome, you'll, you'll see the same type of pizza. Um, they ha- I believe they have, I didn't see it, but I believe they have, you know, Korean barbecue. They have all different types of draft beers, probably local beers or stuff like that. So there's a definite value proposition to going to their place compared to, okay, well, great. You can make another burger on your grill on the, in, the, in the back of your car or whatever. Um, and so I think, I think taking this model to to Europe would be something, you know, be fascinating to try and test. Um, I don't know what it would look like. Obviously, it'd be different ground by ground. I don't know if you've been to, you know, obviously it's different at Old Trafford where there there is kind of a bit more space outside the ground, obviously, because of all the parking um, versus... I don't know, a more neighborhood club, maybe maybe Liverpool comes to mind. It looks, you know, if you sort of look at the, the images outside the stadium, the videos outside the stadium, it looks like there's a bit of a concourse, but not too much. So, so maybe sort of building could be an issue. Maybe, you know, in these neighborhood clubs as well could be an issue in that they have to sort of buy out people that live near the stadium. And obviously they live there and love living there, living in that location. Um, so... I think, you know, I think it'd be fascinating to test this idea because, you know, 
there are a variety uh, of issues and sort of things that clubs are trying to achieve and one of them is this pre-match issue you know I, I think it'd be fascinating one to sort of create a study or, or to do something to say or to sort of try and identify how much money is actually spent and let's say the three hours before a match in some sort of either drive time radius or mileage radius or you know public transportation accessible radius something like that because then you know it's like a startup pitch in which it's like oh well you know the the toys market is a 50 billion dollar market and we're going after this or whatever you can basically say okay well the market for all pre-match spending is uh, maybe 500000 Who knows, whatever it is, on a one-off. Obviously, maybe or maybe not be 500000 um, Maybe if you factor in beyond restaurants and bars, but hotels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you go from there. But I think, I think quantifying precisely how much money is spent before a match would be critical because, one, it would, it would open up a club's eyes to how big the actual opportunity is versus just saying some, you know the sort of obscure idea of we are missing out on, on pre-match revenue um, so you know, looking ahead I mean food halls are sort of the obvious um, thought process but I, you know clubs have to be open to anything you know because maybe maybe you know despite having I, I don't know if, how hard it would be to justify a team hotel given the fact that there's only maybe 19, 20 home games if you play in Europe, maybe 23, 24 home games a year or something like that. But, you know, maybe it comes in the form of a hotel in which you have a team brand hotel, the rates are marked up on game days, or and then maybe it's sort of tied in on non-game days when fans from around the world come to visit the stadium, something like that. Um, but I think... This sort of this fascinating opportunity and sort of pre-match revenue. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Just checking in. I had a uh, another thought as it surrounds the flaws of of college. Um, you know, it sort of spurred initially because I knew I had uh, an office hours appointment with Professor Napoli uh, scheduled. For this past week, uh, Professor Napoli is my entrepreneurship professor in the, at the USC Marshall School of Business. Um, you know, sort of from student opinions, sort of like one of these more preferred professors uh, at the school, and for good reason. I mean, he's he's his his class is a joy to be a part of. It's not one where you know people skip. It's not one that that people dread having to go to and and that's something to be respected in, in a day and age where plenty of professors will say oh it's not necessary to go to class or I'm going to teach the same things in the book uh, you know I'm just an academic so I have no idea so you know given that it's about a week before I know I have a disappointment um, I've been to be consuming Robert Kiyosaki, um, he obviously wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and um, well, Rich Dad, Poor Dad basically has this diagram in the book where 
you know, it explains basically, uh, you know, you know, Rich Dad, I'll take a step back. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is basically the sort of tip of the iceberg for how people should navigate the game that is capitalism. So what does this mean? Well, he says that if you pursue your passion, that most people that pursue their passion end up as either employees or people with small businesses. You know, both are taxed very high, both, you know, in the end, don't make a ton of money. On the other hand, people that, you know, maybe forego their passion, but, you know, rather they play, they play the, the game of capitalism and that they sort of understand the way money works. They understand that they want freedom in their life and they sort of optimize their ventures and business to create that in the end game. These types of people have the goal and, you know, try to execute on building big businesses and becoming professional investors. Uh, so, you know, when you think about that, you also sort of think about the the sunk cost effect. Obviously, the sunk cost effect at age 20, there's no way that you could argue that the sunk cost effect is massive uh, or the sunk costs are massive for you know, a person at age 20. But it's hard to come from that perspective because, because for me, it's like I, I love football and if I were giving advice to myself on what I would go into in life, it would, you know, it would be something along the lines of if in some way you didn't involve football in your life, you'd be making um, a massive mistake based on the interest and love that you have for the game, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, you contrast this sort of idea of trying to be, you know, have big businesses and, you know, becoming a professional investor with the sort of Gary Vee model that happiness is 100% the game. He says, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not, Gary Vee is not the first person to offer, offer this example of, you know, I know people that make 50000 a year doing you know, selling baseball cards, whatever, but they love baseball cards, so they're happy as fuck versus, you know, people that exited and have 50 million in the bank are unhappy or whatever. We've heard that, this example, hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, but it's, but it's like, you know, Gary Vee is, and the problem is it's like, there are sort of moments in, in, in life where, you know, you'll fall on each spectrum. So on the Robert Kiyosaki side, like, if you go and try and travel the world, or if you go and, you know, you, you eat at a nice restaurant or something like that, you basically come to the conclusion that this sort of Robert Kiyosaki, Grant Cardone idea of, you know, in, income streams, um, passive income, cash flow, et cetera, et cetera, and the money that that brings and, and the sort of life that that can deliver you know, is one that you want to take on because you realize that literally a great life in this world takes money. It takes, oh, well, you, you want to go to West Hollywood and you want to have sushi? Well, that's just expensive as fuck. Or you want to, you want to like, you can, you can, you can get away with traveling for relatively cheap nowadays, but like to properly live out the experience, to properly, you know, eat at some of the best restaurants, to stay at a nice hotel or whatever, to stay at a, like an amazing Airbnb at an, in Mykonos or whatever. This, this shit ha comes with a price. And so 
you know, that's where you start to lean towards a sort of idea of, you know, that, that Grant Cardone and Robert Kiyosaki share that, you know, you need to get, you need to get money. But then Gary Vee is also so persuasive and it's like at 20 years old, it's like, you know, I don't know shit. And like Gary Vee, you live, you know, twice as long as I have and you've done so much more shit than I have. Like maybe, maybe you have insight that I don't have that happiness truly is the game. But it's like, it's so hard to tell because... You know, and this is a thought that I, I don't, I haven't heard from anyone else. You know, the thought that anybody that's telling you that money isn't the game and that purpose and happiness is the game, the people that are giving that advice already have money. And when you already have money, it's like, okay, well, why would you, why would you chase money? Because eventually that, you know, you're going to, you're not going to have, you know, there's only so much money that you can chase before it just becomes boring to which then you need to inject purpose into your life. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, you know, at Professor Napoli's, uh, and I basically bring up this idea and, you know, it was interesting, you know, cause I, I sort of extended it out and I was, you know, told him I was sort of fascinated by, you know, these sort of people that, you know, like a Tony Robbins, like a Mark Cuban, et cetera, et cetera basically have created this machine in which whatever development they see in a certain space, whether, you know, Mark Cuban will mention esports and then he has a social networking company and then, you know, it goes on and on and on. They basically have this machine in place where they go, all right, well, I see the developments on this space. This is the sort of business or this is the opportunity that I want to take on or I want to have or whatever. And so... You know, sort of asking about that, and you know, he's basically saying, you know, that sort of model takes time, in which the first time you'll fuck it up, and the first time it'll take longer, but eventually you do it the tenth time, it'll take a year and a half, and then you can hire out and have people to do it. Um, but I'm trying, to be honest, I've, I've forgotten the, the bigger points here. Um, what the fuck was I going to say? Um... I don't know, I mean, the best I can do is basically exp explain the rest of the meeting. Fucking, what was the bigger point? Well, What the 